0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. Oh my god. <laughs> I am Greg Tito.
1: I am Charlie Mazzanoble.
2: We're doing voices. We're
1: dwarfs.
0: I feel like we're trying to do uh, uh, Sujata Day's character. I was just
1: going to say that. Yeah.
0: I'm not that tiny. <laughs> that's, that's the line that's been going through my head uh, from this Drew Many Eyes so much. He's so good. She's so good. She's yeah, I love I love them from Girls Got Glory. Uh they will be uh coming back at some point very soon. We're still working on uh uh getting them back in front of the streaming camera. I hope so. All uh motors ahead on that one. Uh but what is going on with you?
1: Hey.
0: You got some Avalon Hill stuff burning up? Sort the, of do. The printing Chambers.
1: Pretty soon, there will be two awesome board games in your game stores.
0: Yeah? Which ones?
1: Axis and Allies and Zombies. Mm. And Betrayal
0: Legacy. Which one is which one's your favorite?
1: Stop it right now. <laughs> I couldn't
0: answer that. Who was uh, your favorite designer on either of those uh,
1: <laughs> Well, that I can answer.
0: Yeah, like, let me just go right in there. <laughs> never,
1: that. I could never.
0: Uh, I think they both look awesome, and I don't think I could pick one either because they're uh, like two different sides of the, the, they are. the brain they're a little totally bit. They're totally different. Yeah.
1: I will say that Axis and Allies in Zombies is the most fun I've ever had playing Axis and Allies.
0: Oh, well, that's, that's a low bar for you.
1: I've had fun. <laughs> I've had fun. Uh, it is a fun game, but it is like super fun. Yeah, way more. So, and and I do think that people like me who maybe were like, "Oh, okay, Access and Allies," we'll see, um, are going to be like, "Yeah, I'm in."
0: Right, because it in. adds that like that yes. random element that you're like, "Oh my
1: god!" Oh yeah, yeah, yes. no super fun. Yeah, Betrayal Legacy though, I feel like is the game
0: that I've been waiting my whole life for. Oh, if there's a song about it, I've been waiting for this game forever. <laughs>
1: that was really good. Yeah, you were
0: like, he's, he's not going to finish Wait, that?
1: That's not, the, that's not the song I thought you were going with. <laughs> I thought it was going to be that foreigner song.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I actually had a real song in my head. That, oh. was, that, was, that was composing
1: I feel like we can in real time. That was good. Yeah. Improv. It's improv. Improv songwriter.
0: Improv songwriter. So before we go too much further, I do want to make sure everyone knows that we got an interview coming In this year episode, uh, I speak uh, to uh, Arnie Jorgensen and Alex Thomas uh, from Stoic Entertainment or Stoic Games or Stoic Studios, uh, one of those names. Uh, uh, But they did the awesome Banner Saga trilogy, uh, the third of which just came out very recently, uh, a fantasy-themed Strategy game, and uh, of course, it's no surprise they're big D&D fans, so we talked about the history of D&D and how it has impacted uh, digital games, uh, as well as uh, just basically the lives. I mean, all these, uh, those two uh, folks talk about uh, how they play with their families, and they they play with uh, other folks, yeah, so.
1: Again, an interview I would have really
0: loved. I think you would have nailed it. Damn it. I know, I'm so sad.
1: I'm so sad, too. You can't go
0: on vacation again. I'm not going I'm telling Nathan, you're just, no. I'm not. No. I don't even want to. (laughs) (laughs) Vacations are dumb. Who am I going to cry and or sing with (laughs) when you're not here, Shelly? No one. (laughs) Well, Pelham. I mean, we cried a lot. We cried a lot, Pelham, right? I mean, there was like full-on waterworks pretty much every day around here, mostly because I was so abusive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pelham can't handle it? (laughs)
0: Yeah, Right. No, I was Got the one it. crying at him.
1: Oh, because you were so self abusive?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's I'm
1: right. I'm dumb. I'm the one
0: that made her go on vacation. <laughs> that's, that's why she left me. <laughs> it's all my fault. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what's not stupid Interviews. is the amount of products that we have coming out this fall. Oh. Right, <laughs> which is a lot we've got uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist no, uh, uh, which we talked a lot about during the stream of, of Many nights. Yes. people have been playing through all what's going on with Waterdeep uh, that comes out on September 9th in hey, Game Stores hey that's really soon it's very soon it's like right around the corner and uh, uh, we also of course is available everywhere on September 18th I got it wrong it's September 7th it's going to be in Game Stores so two days even earlier even sooner than I just said right?
1: yeah
0: yeah. so September 5th I feel like you just gave us a gift be- Tito <laughs> that's true I just took away two days yes. off of your life uh, or in a good way I mean <laughs> I gave him back to your life you know what I'm trying to say <laughs> uh, there's endless quest co- books coming out from our partners uh, uh, at. Uh, uh, so Matt Forback wrote those I when? can't wait we're gonna talk to him uh, I think pretty soon that oh, comes out awesome. September 4th also very soon oh boy oh boy uh, and Adventures Outlined is out in game stores now it'll be out everywhere uh, August 21st it's a coloring book it is an amazing looking coloring you book. You love this book. I do love this book. I can't wait to... Uh, Are
1: you like a relaxing coloring kind of guy?
0: You know, I, I actually, I think there was definitely a point where uh, we colored a lot more with the girls than we do now. They've kind of, their interests have gone on to, to, to different things. So we don't do it as much, but I liked having the adult option yeah. when I was coloring yeah. with them because it was, oh, I, I liked it.
1: Please don't tell me Edna's not doing art anymore.
0: She's doing art for sure, but not as much coloring. Okay. Right. Like she's doing her own art, where yeah. she's drawing her own thing. Yeah, yeah, but no, constantly, constantly doing stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, that's coming out. Uh, like I said, very soon. We've got uh, the ABCs and one two, threes of D and D. We announced. Yeah, uh, those are awesome books written by Ivan Van Norman. Uh, illustrations by Caleb Cleveland. Those are out on October twenty third. They're fourteen ninety nine each. Perfect gifts for the Chitlins. In this holiday well, season,
1: sh- you got any friends that are about to have a baby? This is a really good baby shower gift.
0: That's right. That's a really good baby shower oh, gift. yes, yeah. Yes. Um, it uh, it t- has rhyming couplets uh, that teaches you know uh, some like D and D lore, yes. all about adventuring and uh, imagination. So it's got like some positivity going on there. Good stuff. Can't wait for that. Um, and then uh, we've got Dungeon of the Mad Mage, November thirteenth, everywhere in game stores on There's November second. There's, I, oh, I saw some proofs of this in the D&D area, uh, really? the Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and it looks fantastic. Every single level. It's just like, oh, my God, they crammed that in there, too? I know. That, they did that, when, too? Though, I don't so even great. know
1: when, because they were working on my stuff, too.
0: I know. I,
1: you've got a lot of stuff. So I don't know how they did all this. I stuff. don't know.
0: And there's even another thing that we haven't even announced yet that they oh, are
1: working no. on. I know. Gosh.
0: Soon we'll announce that, too. Oh, uh, everyone uh, will be doing a lot more with this uh, in the next couple of months, but Extra Life is going full force. Uh, we'll be streaming live on November 3rd, which is the big game day. Uh, so look for more details than that. We have some Extra Life pages set up, so if you want to join uh, our uh, efforts to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network, uh, this is the time to do it. Play D&D, raise money, get all of your uh, friends and family to contribute to uh, getting all this for the kids. It's awesome stuff. We've raised, gosh, more than... Uh, uh five hundred thousand dollars over you, the last five years. Are you serious? Yeah, tons of money from from D and D, and we'll be doing trying to break all those records here too. Uh, we raised ten grand during the Founders and Legends Day that we streamed in uh, the summer in what? July, and uh, we're looking to do even more. Like I said, so uh, Mike Merles is uh, going to build some custom character subclasses for you. That's a great way to wow. to buy it. That's a high price point, though, but it's worthwhile because you get something specifically designed by Mike, for which is awesome. You
1: or for like.
0: For you, for Everybody. whatever you choose. If you if you donate uh, twenty five hundred dollars, you might be able to get a custom subclass class made for you by Mike Morrills.
1: What about twenty five hundred product points?
0: I think he might be able to
1: do it for that. Because I kind of want my own Sud. You are like, here is some
0: fun points. I'll Mike. design it. Well then, I can do it. But then you, yeah, you should for put 25 up twenty five bucks. You should put up some uh, Avalon Hill stuff that you would like get. You know, for I actually, think for donating. usually I
1: just donate to Extra Life.
0: But now you I can might contribute. Play.
1: Yes. Do I it, playing a game. Do it. I, mean, I would.
0: I'd be so happy if you did. Really? Yeah. Let's do it. Are you DMing? Uh, I probably will. Yeah. Or Bart playing. Bart's uh, is the one who's doing all this. So talk to him. And get on there. Get on the roster.
1: I might do it, you guys. Yeah.
0: Because it's super fun to play D&D, but it's also super fun to raise money for a good cause. Yes. And I can do both of them at the same time. Uh, a lot of our streamers will be participating in it. It'll be lots of fun going forward. So uh, go to uh, uh, wizards.com slash extra life, and you'll find out everything you need to know there. Uh, and it, it benefits everyone. So it's good stuff. Um, we also will have a Dragon Plus issue 21 uh, coming out this week. All about the kids as well. For that reason. Can't I think it wait. makes perfect sense. There's lots of good features in there, including uh, kid-friendly introductions to D&D, a Q&A with our friend Kyle Balda, uh, oh. uh, who is the director of Minions, uh, and he's been on the podcast before Good's coming to the office. Friend. He's a great guy. Um, also, uh, Jim Sub will talk about his work on the Rick and Marty comic that Morty. he's working on. Rick and Morty? Yep. Did I say Marty? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm just channeling that it's a Back to the Future reference. Um, <laughs> Rick and Morty, uh, so Jim Zebel will be talking about that he's writing with uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, I've also seen the proofs for that, and that looks really fun. Yeah. That looks like a really good product, so that's pretty cool, too. Cool beans. Well, I think let's jump ahead uh, to our awesome lore segment uh, and uh, have everyone learn about Aurora's Whole Realms catalog from Mr. Chris Perkins. Whoa. What do you think?
1: Is that like the service merchandise catalog?
0: It's exactly like the Sears and Robot catalog, (laughs) but in the Forgotten Realms. Cool. Yeah, you'll hear I'm all about in. it. You'll hear all about it right about now. All right. Bing bong, bing bong, ding a dong, ding a dong. Bing bong, bing bong, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I would have done. <laughs> Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Hello. Today, on this segment where we will talk about uh, a little bit of Dungeons & Dragons lore uh, for your own uh, education, here is one that is Aurora's Whole Realms catalog. Yes. Very good. We're going to talk all about this specific location within
3: the city of Waterdeep. So... um is it like a Sears and Roebuck catalog of... I'm glad you mentioned it. Yes. Is that where it was based? That's exactly what it was based on. Nice. So, oh, maybe, well,
0: maybe we should tell people what that is.
3: Oh, my God. <laughs> Since we yeah, have you're listeners right. who probably don't yeah. know. So, well, you can tell them what a Sears catalog is. All right.
0: Is. Yeah. So, uh, uh, back in the day, before there was an internet, yes. people bought things, you know, in person, barring that you didn't have anything, until Sears and Roebuck came around, and they were like the mail order kings. Yes. Uh, a lot of right. the, the the wild west uh, shop owners yes. stocked their shops yes. from this catalog absolutely because it was the, well, all right. Well, you can't get it. You can get it from Sears. Sears would ship it out to you, uh, and then of course we now have the the modern day uh, retail chain named Sears is a uh, evolution of that. And then of yeah. course. Basically, Amazon and everywhere you order things online is also another
3: uh, extension of that. But exactly,
0: back when uh, uh, Ed Greenwood was creating the realms, Sears and Robot Catalog was a very, very real thing.
3: Yes, and people depended on it. And so um, it was basically decided that the Forgotten Realms has the equivalent of that, and that is called the whole, the Aurora's Whole Realms Catalog. Now, Aurora is a figure in the Realms. Mm-hmm. She is a business entrepreneur who basically started up this company. This red-haired. Beauty, um, who with great business sense. And uh, so her company is actually located throughout the realms, um, very prominently in Waterdeep. She has Aurora's Whole Realms catalog operated out of six different shops in Waterdeep, um, where you can go pour over their catalogs, look through stuff, point at things and say, I want that. And then it will come to the shop and you can pick it up and poof, off you go.
0: Oh, right. so it's always very much just here's where you can order magic items if you exactly, need Exactly,
3: yes. And there's like an Aurora's shop in Westgate and there's another shop in this other city. They're basically scattered all over the realms and there's really nothing else quite like it. Mm. And it is a direct analog of the Sears Robot catalog. It's sort of managed the same way, handled the same way. And back in first slash second edition TSR released the Aurora's Whole Realms Catalog as a product. Oh. It was a paperback cover book about yay big, and all black and white, with pictures of all of the items and gold piece prices or copper piece prices, silver piece prices, and little descriptions of what they were. And they ran, and they were all mundane. So there were no magic items in here whatsoever. Oh, it was really? All just mundane stuff. The stuff like, that you'd be. Able you want to get. buy a harpsichord? here it is and it actually had like a picture of a harpsichord and the price and talked about what a harpsichord is because you probably didn't know it because you're like 12 years old and <laughs> you've never seen one before um, <laughs> who
0: listens to Bach anymore yeah
3: it's like you can buy priestly stuff here aspergillums and censors you can buy thieves tools you can buy mallets you can buy sheets you can buy it, it was just absolutely full of absolutely mundane stuff and it's it's like looking at a hardware catalog, yeah. B- essentially, but
0: a adventurer's hardware right. catalog. But because it
3: had gold piece prices and silver piece prices and gold and copper piece prices, it felt like something in world. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah,
0: similar to the Volo's guides, how they were yes. like these in world things. Exactly.
3: You know? So pretty much, and the role that it served in the game was it it was really the first greatest expansion to the equipment list mm. in Dungeons & Dragons. Prior to that, you had the list of equipment in the player's handbook, which yeah, exactly. mostly focused on adventuring gear, like ropes and lanterns and mirrors and tinderboxes and stuff. The whole realm's catalog product, when it came out, was the first time uh, there was a D&D product that really expanded on that list of stuff and literally included everything from shoes and boots to... Different kinds of clothes and um, and uh, e- equipment, apparel.
0: That's so parlor. interesting because I, I I love that simulation idea of of d anD D game. So yes, creating a product that you know mm-hmm. probably ninety nine percent of adventurers would never need, uh, but this is this world building yeah. Uh, yeah. information is is fantastic. And I
3: love the fact that you know you go to the entry and you want to buy a hammer and they actually put a picture of a hammer in the book like you wouldn't know what wouldn't one of those books. looks like.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but they do that in all uh, you know,
0: catalogs exactly, now, right? Right, it's, yes. It's, here's yeah. the item. Yeah, exactly. Just so to make sure you know what it is. There are all
3: these little black and white illustrations of just common things in there. Um, and it kind of makes it a, a magical little product. In fact, I think that if you if you had to go on eBay and try to find one old D&D product that you might actually use in your game more than any other yeah this is probably it interesting yeah um and over the years since we've never released anything quite like it um Something that
0: was so in world that yes. it didn't really have you know, an applica- applicable you know, story yeah. reason yeah. for it be. And there. all
3: through second edition, other products would refer to the Aurora's Home Realms catalog as a sort of a go to for equipment. So if you walked into, um, like, there's a Spelljammer box set that came out and it described this place and space and the mm-hmm. store where you can go to to buy stuff. And it just says, see the Aurora's Whole Realms catalog for items that you can buy here. So it makes it very easy. Yeah, it sort of threaded itself into all of these other D and D products over the years and became this kind of necessary resource for a lot of dungeon masters and a lot of DMs because it was written like an in world thing. They could just hand it to their players and say, "Okay, you want to buy stuff here? Take a look in this catalog. Tell me what you want."
0: Mm. And and it didn't contain any magic items at all. So that was like, is that something that was added later? No. It was it was always for mundane stuff. That's correct. Yeah, got it. Um,
3: the idea was conceived of by Anne Brown, who was a TSR employee back mm-hmm. in the day, um, and then executed upon by a number of people on the T R P G staff. I think uh, Robert King, who went on to write several novels, mm-hmm. um, was the lead designer of the book. Oh, cool! And I can only just imagine, you know, having writers actually just dis- type up descriptions of some fairly nine yeah. things. Here's a box. Exactly. It's got, it's got four sides. sides. <laughs> right. It's a wooden box. Yeah, but now I'm
0: almost wondering if, uh, as a novelist, there was almost some threads of story that were, they were woven
3: throughout those entries. It was all pretty spare. Like, each entry was basically a paragraph. Yeah. Um, and I think within that book, it was fairly thin. Like, it might have been. It's a small book, but it might have been like 96 pages or something like that. Yeah. They would get anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen items on a page. So with illustrations for, you know, a third of them or a quarter of them. That's really cool. Yeah. And so we now, we still assume even years later that these places still exist in world. Um, where's Aurora, she might still be alive. She might not be. We don't know. But her company lives on and you can, oh, st- you yeah. can, you can go to Aurora's shops throughout the realms and buy all this stuff, uh, which is kind of cool that it's sort of survived. Some, yeah. You know, Throughout so many changes exactly. and, and yep. events,
0: yep. there's still yep. commerce that goes yep. through. Yep, yep. I like that a lot, too. Uh, so
3: uh, is there, there, so there is definitely a shop in Waterdeep? There are six. Six um, different shops Six different places you can go to shop. Now, they don't necessarily have in the shops all of the inventory, but you can order them there. Um, and then the items will be... Found and delivered. But yeah, they've, they've got six shops scattered throughout, and um, which is unusual. Most cities don't have that many.
0: That does seem like a lot, but it's home based type of thing. Is there uh, logistics and warehouse setup? Like, is it all stored in portable holes? Like, how, <laughs> how, how, how do they actually do it?
3: Oops. Um, unclear. 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 It's magic. Uh, I think it depends yeah. on how much space they have, but it wouldn't be beyond the pale to think that they have magical receptacles to hold all this stuff. Sorry, I'm trying to actually open up this document, and it's not letting me. No worries. Uh, so if you oh, well. uh, if you order it, is it uh, two
0: weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Is it a long time, or is it instantaneous?
3: Uh, about six to eight weeks.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. That.
3: is that, <laughs> it's in a self-addressed uh, stamped envelope. Six to eight, ten days, yeah. Ten days, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly.
0: So it would be mundane. So there must be there there yeah. there must be a post system right. or something, yeah. uh, which is rife for uh, adventurer. Absolutely, hooks.
3: yes. And it also just makes for you know interesting mental imagery of you know you might be on a road, I might be on the long road, um, heading out of Waterdeep, and a caravan coming the other way has like a piano <laughs> yeah. on the back of it. And it's like, well, what the hell are you bringing that for? Oh, somebody from Aurora's catalog ordered, ordered it. it so right, we're bringing it. You know, straight from. Tribor or Yartar or wherever. Or what a great,
0: you know, if you want to have an excuse for an adventuring party to be, uh, uh, you know, caravans are often often used, obviously. Yes. But here's That could be your whole campaign. It's just, yes. hey, we go from place to place, wherever yep. we're supposed to to yep. help deliver yes. stuff. Yeah. yeah, We're known for getting to places that are really hard to get to. Yes. You know, if someone orders it in right. a yes. cave in the, yeah. in the mountains, yeah. you can go up there.
3: It's also good for just sort of demystifying things like a DM might not know right off the bat how much like an umbrella costs. But this whole realms catalog will just tell you and then you don't have to worry about it. I didn't even think that you know umbrellas existed in the realms, but I guess they do. Yeah. Right? Why yeah. wouldn't they? Why wouldn't
0: they? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not the same kind of spring, you know, lock yeah, yeah, mechanism. Yeah. But-
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they had they had umbrellas thousands of years ago, so of course they would be there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Uh so uh players can use this. To, uh, as, as their own too. So to get the, some yeah, stuff. the
3: great thing about Aurora's Whole Realms catalog is even though it's now ancient, you know, 30 years old or whatever, um, in real world years, uh, it's still as relevant and useful today as it was when it first came out. Yeah. There's, it hasn't dated itself um, out of the game. Right. Because... Uh, we, yeah. yeah, you could probably niggle over the prices and say, well, you know, compared to the prices in the 5th edition player's handbook, these don't seem quite right, but whatever. Blah. Yeah. It, yeah. And, the,
0: Fortunes change. Exactly. You never know what, yes. what it's right. going to be worth, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of fun. But that also, you know, you can use that data if you want to do more of a simulationist-type mm-hmm. game of, like, yep. you yep. know, this cheaper Neverwinter because those prices are real. It's just in the cities there are. But if you go to yep. the smaller cities, you know, going to be able to, uh, you know, have some, some real-world trading mm-hmm. things going on in your yep. campaign, which is another part of d d that... I just love for some silly reason. Yeah,
3: it really sort of digs down into the economy of the world, which is kind of fun. Yeah, Um, and it doesn't. The fact that it doesn't rely on magic items, and you know, that is kind of interesting. That is. There have been other D anD d books that have dealt with that have you know priced out that have been just magic item compendiums and things like that, but nothing like this. Yeah, nothing with just like what does the world look like? Yeah,
0: it's a a good snapshot of that. Uh, so we should reprint that, and then also some water, water deep wazoo uh, yeah. uh, articles. I'm sure. You, I'm
3: sure. Aurora's whole realms catalog must be on DMs Guild. Um, yes. in PDF form, so people can probably get their hands on that pretty quickly. It is definitely worth a checkout. That's pretty really cool. Yeah, awesome. Uh, great tool for for people to use in their game.
0: Absolutely. Um, if people want to ask you uh, how much an
3: umbrella costs on Twitter, yeah, I am at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent.
0: I am at Greg Tito D&D, and I'm going to say three silver.
3: Okay. <laughs> if I can open up the folder, I will yeah, tell, tell you right, away. right off the bat.
0: All right. Well, we'll have someone check it for us. Yes.
3: I do not have that information codified in my brain. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not up there with all the, the Dragon Magazine <laughs> no.
0: issue numbers. Right. Yeah. Yes, yes. It'll be there soon. Yes. All right. Thanks, you guys. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Lore You Should Know. That was a really good Lori Chanot segment. That was. Do you feel like you know everything about the the catalog and and where to buy goods at in, in Waterdeep if you were gonna go check out Aurora?
1: I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I That I, was very good.
0: It was. Yeah. I feel like I know everything and uh, now I want one of those in my real life. You know, it's somewhere I can order stuff and it would just get sent to me. Uh, Gosh. That what? would be
1: so cool. Why
0: doesn't that exist? If it
1: was like in a came in like within a day.
0: Right? Maybe two days. If you like lived in the same area where the company's headquartered, That would be be awesome. Even faster. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be real cool. Uh, So, we have this awesome interview uh, with uh, uh, Arnie Jorgensen and Alex Thomas uh, from uh, uh, Stoic. Do you want to go listen to that?
1: I do. You were not involved in this. But that's why I can listen to it. So, you can listen to it. Yes. All right. Well, let's let's Looking forward
0: to it. Let's give it a listen. Uh, We have Arnie Jorgensen. Hello.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: And Alex Thomas. Hi. Hi. Glad to be here. Both of you from a Stoic Games or a Stoic Studio, correct? Stoic Studio? Or is it- stoic
2: Studio, but we, we technically we just call it Stoic.
0: All right. Yeah. So you guys look very Stoic in your uh, in, in, emotional states right now. <laughs> You're like, I've never heard that joke before. <laughs> <laughs> we try. We try uh, so you guys are uh, busy working on Banner Saga 3. Uh, it, it, it's coming out very soon, if not already, correct? It actually came out the
2: 26th, Twenty sixth, uh, a few days ago, and uh, it's been a really great launch so far. You know, there's, there's a couple of bugs we're hammering out. So it is true that we're still working on Banner Saga 3, but it's, it's out. It's out on every device known to man except for mobile right now.
0: Nice, very cool. I can't wait to jump into it. I played a lot of uh, the first Banner Saga, uh, and I'm 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 excited to continue that saga uh, because it has so much great storytelling within it, very similar to uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And I was no surprise to me to learn uh, that many of the folks behind it were Dungeons and Dragons fans. So, uh, uh, Arnie, why don't we start with you? When when was your first experience playing Dungeons and Dragons?
2: My first experience playing Dungeons and Dragons was in front of an A and P. And if you live in the Northeast, <laughs> you know what that store is.
0: That's right. Where did you Where did you grow up?
2: Uh, Long Island.
0: Long Island. All right. Yeah. I was uh, I was in Connecticut. I could uh, on the on the uh, Long Island Sound, so I could see. Yeah, we
2: literally from our backyard could look across to Bridgeport. Nice. So, yeah, we, we used to sail across there all the time and whatnot.
0: I was but, closer well, to New London, but go ahead with your with your. How okay. do you play in front of a in That's front of a beautiful. grocery store?
2: Um, yeah, so my, my cousin came into town and we were really young. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what t- what age I was. I must've been like nine or something like that. And he said, I've been playing this game called Dungeons and Dragons. So we had no paper, we had no dice, you know, and he just started making up stuff and my brain exploded. And, uh, I th- I really think that the early days of, of Dungeons and Dragons and there was another game adventure we used to play, but all uh pen and paper stuff was really what got me into games. I mean, it's, it's it's that simple. That, that's what got me into the love of games, and then of course, you know, other another video game got me into actual video games and design and and uh, and doing that for a living.
0: What was it about that experience of of, of uh, playing in front of the grocery store that just you know well, brought it you know, forward for you?
2: Yeah, before you know, before you had DVDs or VHS or anything, there was there was just TV, and I remember one time. I was watching TV and on comes this show called The Hobbit, like the old animated. I love that one. Hobbit. And my gosh, I just got so into it. So then I went and I read the books. I read Lord of the Rings. And, you know, you're kind of just imagining, wouldn't it be neat to live in, live in that world? And then so here comes somebody with a game where you could actually kind of live and delve into that world. And I think that's it, that, it, that, that really kind of caught me at a young age of you can do anything. You know, and it's still that way. I still play D&D with my kids. Um, I, we still run campaigns. And uh, and it's really different than video games for for us because my kids love video games too. But they're way more into D&D mm. and pen and paper stuff because you get with a group of people in real life and you can do anything. You know, video games, as much as I love them, there's a lot of things you can do, a lot of things you can't do, and you eventually understand the game. Oh, okay, I yeah, press this button and this. But you can't just climb a wall and jump through a window and, you know, run out and fight a dragon or whatever. Um, so I, uh, I I think the newer generation that's playing D and D I know right now D and D is like as big as it's ever been yeah and the newer generation that plays it loves video games and then they play one game of D and D and that's it like that's they would rather do that than play any video game or anything so it still has the same exact feeling to you know this newer generation uh, as it as it had with me
0: right right what uh, do you remember what character you played uh, in that no, first session no idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> It was probably like a. a, It was it was probably like a fighter or dwarf or elf. It was like, yeah,
2: melded together into. This is so awesome! I've got to go out and look (laughs) up the books and find out like where do I go? The library, you know, I didn't know.
0: Nice. Get into it. Uh, What about you, Alex? What was what was your first experience like playing Dungeons and Dragons?
4: (laughs) I probably have the polar opposite to Arnie's story, in which I didn't have that group of people who wanted to play it when I was a kid. So. My first almost experience was this game called uh, Heroes Quest, yeah, which was like a board game, uh, but it had a lot of D&D kind of similarities, and uh, trying to get my family to play that was a huge chore. Like, they didn't get it at all, but I was like, this is so awesome, we got to make it work. Uh, anyway, eventually I kind of moved on, went to college, got a job in games, and didn't actually play D&D proper until... 30 something because before all that time it was like you know i had these i had these co-workers who were such like dnd aficionados that they had like moved on to all the different branching properties like you know they wanted to do cthulhu and uh, lord of the rings and like so they they had like done their 20 years of dnd and were yeah off, off into the weeds and uh i, I finally got back uh to the roots like not too long ago uh, and played it. And it was always something that really appealed to me because the whole fantasy setting, I think, is just something that, um, you know, it's like a natural fit for playing this, uh, this really kind of made up realm, you know, yeah. where everybody's cooperative imagination. But you can imagine, I've, I
2: played games that like Alex DM and and he, he wrote the Banner Saga 1 and 3. And he was creative director for the first one. So you, you can imagine how fun the modules are that he writes. And he took a short stint away from Stoic for a while. And, you know, a, a good part of your time, Alex, was creating stories in the d world, right?
4: Yeah, oh. uh, I, I was going to do a side project that was all uh, d and standalone campaigns. Cool. Um, my immediate reaction to like playing role playing games wasn't like, "Oh, what character do I want to be?" It was like, "I'm gonna DM now."
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna figure out how to do that all the time.
4: Yeah, yeah, and it's really all consuming once you start thinking about it. You know,
0: it is. It's a totally different kind of 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 writing, but also game writing. Like, you know, so many people write in the video game world and scripts and, and, and dialogue and things like that. And there's, you know, there's some of that in role-playing game writing when you're homebrewing your own world, but it's so much about, like, well, they may, the characters players may choose to go down this path, but they probably aren't. So you don't want to flesh it out too much.
4: Yeah, you quickly find out how different it is just because, like Arnie was saying, you can do anything, which means the players are going to immediately go off the rails you know um and even what we do which is try to make as branching uh, a story as we can with the banner saga it's nowhere near the level that uh you know a group of people at a table can can you, take it
2: you can do a lot in the banner saga you can't do everything you can think of you know
0: yeah yeah you can't but just you, be like let's go to a different country now and you're like no can't right it's, but right. it's also
2: that's also hell for a DM. I mean, the, the last module I played with Alex, he created was uh was about a green dragon that kind of comes into town and destroys this paladin a high level wizard and limps away in pain and you know and you escape from this jail that that from the town that he came into, and you yeah as players you have to go along with the ride like we can't say no we're not going to go after the green dragon you know what let's go try to steal a ship and cross an ocean like <laughs> <laughs> you know so th- there is a little of that even in D and think you I saw. Prepare- Everything, yeah. You
0: can't right. you try to steer them, but you know you never know. I think that, right. I think I saw a tweet just this morning that was uh, you know in your homebrew setting, you create this this town with all these intricate plots and you know connections in between all of them right. and you spend all of your time doing that. And <laughs> similar to how you just described, I think she, yeah. they said that the, uh, the the players came and got on a boat and left the town within like yeah. the same day.
2: Well we played we played a game with uh, Nola, uh, not Nola. I'm sorry, Piper, uh, Alex's daughter one time and she became you know she was really into her character and she realized this game is about like my character can die.
4: So oh, yeah she, she didn't know that until about halfway through the first uh, yeah. game and she was like, they can die like forever. And then
2: she <laughs> like it was real. Like I am this character, and everything I'd prepared for them. Like, okay, you come across this outcropping, you know, rocky outcropping, and up on top, you know, you see these shapes, you know, wandering among ruins. We go around it. You know, it was immediate. Don't go up. Go around it. And she avoided every fight possible
0: because she was just living in uh, in that fear. That's Why so I do
2: I want to die? Yeah, yeah, I'd rather go
0: find a nice place to hang out. Let's go fishing. You know. See, that's like she just wanted to live the Hobbit
4: lifestyle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh how old is uh, is Piper? Uh she's just turned nine. Uh yeah, she was playing kind of the uh the, the half elf, not half elf, the uh affling druid. Uh oh, so and, she was already uh, 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 very hobbity. <laughs> yeah. Immediately went into that
0: mode. That's awesome. Uh what about your uh, uh your kids, Arnie? How old are they?
2: Uh I've got eight and twelve. But my oh. sister and my my uh my nephews live right across the street, so we have a game of five kids um playing and it's it's awesome anyway ages anywhere from um my youngest doesn't wasn't playing the last one so anywhere from 12 to 14 with five kids and it's it's like a perfect age
0: that is perfect Uh, really into it yeah my girls are seven and five and the five-year-old is just really on the cusp of being able to you know she can't read yet she's gonna join that and like once, once she levels up, uh, you know, in her mm-hmm. own life, I feel like it's going to be, you know, I'll, I'll bring in all the neighbors and we'll start doing a lot more. We've, we've tried a few times, but we can only really get around like 20, 25-minute sessions before uh, yeah. the, the boredom sets in. Yeah. But maybe that's it's, just not my fault as a bad DM. <laughs> no, no, no,
2: no, it's not. Um, we, this has the, been the best time because I have like a built-in team that will play more often than I could possibly hope to be able to play. Right. The, had that before. Usually, you kind of try to get a team together every week or two weeks, and then usually one or two people can't make it. So this has been really great.
0: It is great, and uh, it's funny because you know I I uh, see my own story reflected in both of yours, where you know I was uh, like you, arnie where I got the uh, the Rankin Bass Hobbit animated in my head, sang all the songs, and my brother was always eight years older than me, and he was he was reading the book and he was telling me all these things that weren't in the movie. And I was like, "Oh my god, that's so great!" So I started, you know, reading and and fell in love with that world. Um, and then it was very similar uh, uh, to you, Alex. Where I, then I wanted to try and get all my family and all my friends to play, and nobody wanted to. Everybody was just kind of like, "Yeah, yeah no, it's not our thing." And I was begging and begging and begging, and it never happened. So I didn't actually start playing until I was in my twenties. But like later in life, when I was. Uh, of the idea, I'm like, oh wait, I can I can organize this on my own. I have organizational skills that can be put to bear on making sure people show up at the right time and all that, and uh, and put together a game on my own. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, it, we we meet people who have those experiences uh, very formatively in the 70s and 80s, but there's also this you can jump in at any time at any age and and still get something out of uh, this out of storytelling.
2: Is pro- I totally agree, and it, it, this has probably been the most gratifying few months, I guess, in all my pen and paper uh, life, because we've got people right now uh, on Twitch and elsewhere. They're coming up with D and D five e rule sets for to play Banner Saga, you know, playing yeah. the Banner Saga, and I'm watching them playing it. And you know, my whole life, I hung out with, you know, I'd hang out with jocks and this and that, and you know, D and D what we would consider nerds back in the day. And uh, it's funny, growing up, I I used to have friends, like, get so tired of me for, like, lugging around these fantasy books. And it's all I talked about. (laughs) Oh, man, all you do is talk about fantasy, you know. You're going to have to grow up or whatever. And then it's so gratifying to me right now to be in my mid-40s watching people playing D&D, you know, in our Banner saga world. Just kind of going, you know what? I guess I didn't have to grow up totally. I totally yes, you know? yeah, you made it. You made, we it. made it. Yeah, and I'm like, see you punks, what are you doing? <laughs>
0: right? No, nope. you can. And honestly, I mean, maybe this is because I, I also get this from some, you know, uh, 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 parents of my kids' friends or something like that. But there is the ones that are able to play as adults, and it doesn't have to be Dungeons and Dragons, but just playing in general is so healthy. Especially when you have kids, but even in just adulthood, to be able to turn off the, the worries of the world a little bit and just, you know, mess around, yeah. do fun stuff. And uh, it's always the parents that don't do that that I'm like, oh, I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you have to grow up. I think it's better to not. And, uh
2: I, I- I've met a few uh, parents here where I live in Texas that um uh, that are totally into it, which is really interesting. That is good. So I'm gonna try to get a game going with some of the parents as well with the kids.
0: Nice. Uh and you're right, the prevalence of people streaming it online has changed mm-hmm. uh uh the whole landscape because it no longer is something that's you know relegated to game stores or 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 you know out of the public eye. It's people people can see it and it and they get entertainment out of it. That is totally uh, additive to the game, the fun that the people have in playing it, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating. You guys just did a, uh, well, not, well, yeah, uh, uh, Hyper RPG just did a uh, stream of uh, Adam
4: Koble playing that's the right, saga. How Saga. How did that go?
2: It was freaking phenomenal. It was a blast. Alex, did you did you watch that?
4: Yeah, I caught about an hour and a half of that. The first one. What did yeah. you think? I mean, like Arnie was saying, it's so it's almost bizarre watching people role play the it's thing surreal. that you made up like in a shack a couple of years ago.
0: <laughs> Wait, why um, were you in a shack? I want to get to the bottom of that story.
4: Uh, we had a, our first studio we lovingly called the Goat Shack because it was actually used as a shack uh, in a farmer's market for a while. Um, before someone slapped a, a plastered a door on the front of it and then started charging rent. Uh, nice, but it was in like a good spot, and it was it was it was a really good time. It was like a the scrappy indie thing to do, you know. And uh, some
0: people make uh, uh, hardware and games out of their garage, but you guys had mm-hmm. a, a goat shack.
4: This was worse than a garage.
2: The bathrooms yeah. were outside in like a you know like an outhouse kind of thing, and
4: yeah. they were fleas and.
0: You had, you was need, next door to
4: an awesome bar, so it was, it was pretty yeah.
0: cool. You were engrossing yourself in the world of Banner Saga.
4: That's right.
2: Yeah, it kind of felt like that, too. I mean, it was before we didn't have anything but doing the Banner Saga. It was the three of us, myself, Alex, and John. So we got to really just tune out everything else except for creating this world. Now Even nowadays, we, we have so much on our plate. You know, it's a bigger company. We have lots of different uh, skews coming out and, you know, just stuff to do in general. So... It's almost like you can't go back to those days, really.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I think that was always part of the mystique of, you know, uh, Steve Jobs and whatever talking about that garage it was like, oh, that was just a, a very specific moment in time
4: that uh, you know it was more idealized than anything else.
0: We
2: tried yeah, to recreate it. Oh, go on, Alex. <clears throat> oh, I was going
4: to say, I think there's something too that it's just like the garage represents this place where you can focus on stuff and and uh, you know. Uh, work together as a tight unit for, for a long time without all the distractions. Yeah.
2: We we try to recreate that from time to time. We we have, uh, sometimes design meetings and we kind of go off site to, you know, just hang out outside and get away from the office and, and that helps you kind of focus as well.
0: So when you guys were coming up with the idea for, uh, the first banner saga, was that uh it was that inspired by your play of Dungeons and Dragons because in playing that game, it definitely felt like oh all right, this is this is you know uh, you know and I, I pardon if this is the wrong comparison but it feels like Xcom but in a DD fantasy world
4: right Well I mean to be completely honest, I, I grew up as a video game kid because I just couldn't get that group uh, of people But right. I think what like the games that I was drawn to were the ones like Baldur's Gate, which is obviously a D&D session. And I wanted that feeling that, you know, there are other people and they had their own lives and they were making their own decisions. And I wasn't just, like, gaming a system. I would, you know, in some way, I wonder if, like, what I was trying to do was to make a, a game, you know, uh, that had other people in it, you know. Right. Just invent this thing. Yeah, I think for
2: my part, it was, uh, it, it's definitely, it goes hand in hand with, You know, growing up, my whole life reading fantasy novels, and then uh, sort of designing many, many D &D and D sessions because I never uh, uh, we we kind of made up our own stuff for the most part. So it was really kind of a world building thing. Mm -hmm. I loved really getting into, and it was a lot of back and forth with Alex and I, just kind of going deeper and deeper and deeper into the lore. That's kind of the same feeling I get with D and D whenever uh, I'm I'm playing uh, as a DM. I want the world to feel kind of alive and cohesive and and living. And I, you know, I think we kind of got real deep in that with the banner saga.
4: For sure. I mean, when you when you design that stuff, it a large part of it is thinking about how other people are going to take it in. Just like mm. being a DM, you know, you're. It's gratifying to write a fictional history of the universe and then have other people take it seriously, you know, and uh, and want to learn about it. Um, and that was a big motivating factor for me you know i remember sitting down and writing like this is the entire history of you know the gods creating the universe and how it all worked and thinking like wow i just actually made something that you know other people are going to know
0: yeah that's super gratifying um and there's there's also these amazing uh uh like norse feel to to banner saga how did that what, what was the inspiration behind that
4: there actually wasn't a whole lot of debate about that. I, you know, I want to make a, a fantasy game, but we didn't want it to be the same, you know, like World of Warcraft had just come out. We didn't want it to be the same kind of uh, vanilla fantasy. And, uh, you know, Arnie Jorgensen has uh, some history with the uh, Scandinavian culture. And, uh, you know, as soon as we started looking into, like, some really th- the depths of North Norse mythology, you can there's so much there to pull inspiration from, you know, it goes deep.
2: Yeah. That I, I grew up uh, when I was, when I was really little, I grew up reading uh, sort of Norse myths and, uh, and books about leaf the lucky and Eric the red and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think even previous to D and D and Lord of the Rings, I was already into sort of the elves, you know, you know things living under the ground, the dwarves, you know, and yeah. so maybe that's, think about it now, maybe that's why Lord of the Rings and D and D kind of, uh, was so powerful with me because it kind of dovetailed with what I was into anyway.
0: Right, because there is a lot of of, of Norse in uh, the the peoples of the North in the Hobbit and and all that type totally. of stuff, as well yeah. as uh, right and D and D. I mean, there was there was Thor and 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 Odin and 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 all of those gods in the the deities and Demi's God book. Like they they were all statted up in there.
2: I got it right behind me somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Tolkien totally wrote with the Acer and you know trolls and and giants and that that, that stuff is all all comes from uh, the Norse. Yeah. Um, but when Alex and I, I fir- and I first got along, it was really a, a medieval story, and Alex had this story, and then we really would just change the backdrop to to be a little bit different and change it to become Norse. That you know at that time the Norse, especially turn-based strategy, it was, it was not a thing. You know, we, <laughs> Break a new ground, maybe people would like it, maybe not. And then uh and then it like exploded with the, the the Vikings TV show and stuff like that. Now Norse is like big, you
0: know. Yeah. I didn't even think it's about that. But it's more mainstream now, right? It, with,
4: yeah, almost.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, no right. Vikings did come out kinda concurrently with when you guys were were, were putting out that first one. So that yeah, mm-hmm. that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. I like that show.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I like it too. Good inspiration for things. Um, so, uh, turn-based strategy is also a very D&D thing, right? I mean, that's essentially what how the combat is handled when you're rolling initiative and taking the turns, right? So there's also yeah. that dovetailing there with the, uh, mechanics. Uh, uh, so, yeah. W- can you talk a little bit about, w- were you inspired there or did you, you know, take things back and forth?
2: I think so. I mean, when I do D&D, we, I, I still use minis and stuff. Synth- we actually use our minis from, uh, from the Warbands game that we put out. They're oh, really nice. cool games. But we use those in conjunction with other D&D minis, and uh, so I've always kind of played it that way. Um, yeah, one of, the, one of the ways
4: we were able to uh, iterate on the early gameplay was because me and Arnie would get together and then play, like, on a board. Oh, really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we, we were able to, like, change the rules as we were playing it, move the pieces around, and see how it was going to play out quickly.
2: That's but really at smart. At some point, I think the rules became... Really difficult to keep our minds wrapped around because every unit had a passive ability and they had an active ability and they would interact differently and some you'd have chain reactions. <laughs> Eventually, it was like okay, we got to build this out into a into a like a demo to be played on a on a computer. Uh, but that, that's why the whole the whole game is on a flat board. A lot of people are saying you should use height, you should use this, and and that's not the point. It's basically a flat board, you know, game.
0: People right. Talk- it's like saying, like, oh, chess. Uh, you know, put some yeah, put some hills I, on chess to make it better. Not,
2: yeah, not so easy. I yeah. mean, it make it look different, but it's not going to affect the tactics. So what's the point? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, our our game was designed that way, and uh, and we just kind of stuck with it.
0: That's really cool. Uh, I really, I mean, do, I, I want to see almost pictures or videos of you guys playing with the pieces on uh, the board to test we out had, the ability. We had
2: some stuff in the Kickstarter video, didn't we, Alex? We we put it out with us on the board, and you know playing it and whatnot. But I think that was kind of B-roll. Like, that was not an actual session.
0: That was us just showing. Just messing up. around.
2: Yeah, this oh, is what, do
0: this dramatization may not have happened. Yeah. Reenactment. Yeah, reenactment. You guys had to wear the, the clothes you would have worn during that day.
2: It's just like any other B-roll. Hey, get in front of the computer and start drawing. You know, like, you're actually drawing this piece that's been done for a long time, and you just kind of trace lines, and it looks good on video.
0: Isn't that so funny? I love, I love that. Yeah, i I've got, I've got a question for you. Sure. Uh,
2: so... From an outside perspective i 'm not really sure, but from an inside perspective, why is it that you think that and d 5 e like just exploded it 's gotten bigger now uh, what how did this work? How did it you know just sort of rise uh, in the public 's eye and and have more people playing all of a sudden
0: well uh, i mean it 's very hard to 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 have a one to one correlation we don 't know exactly, but we have a few theories uh, i think d and d fifth edition came out in two thousand and fourteen. Uh, but before that, it was a two-year, two-plus-year, I think it was two and a half-year public playtest uh, where Mike Murrow, Jeremy Crawford, and the rest of the team put out rules and uh, tested everything, like tested, you know, like what do you guys think about this? What do you guys think about this? Things that were more, you know, uh, combat heavy, fourth edition type things, or, you know, here's something that we just thought might be fun. Let us know what you think. And there was, you know, more than 175,000 people who signed up and participated in that D&D playtest. And we think that, you know, there there was a lot, I mean, being in here internally, I came in only uh, three years ago, so I heard a lot of these stories, but there was some talk of like, oh, if we give away, some of that it will, uh, you know, people won't want to play the game because they're getting it for free or something like that, right? So there was, it was like a new idea for for the way things were run here at D&D, and we think that that catalyzed uh, the change, right, and made it so that it didn't feel like, you know, uh, the people here at Witch of the Coast were in some ivory tower and were just being like, these are the rules, blah, blah, blah and, you know, dictated them out. The public had uh could could shape it. And then we could also know like this, okay, this feels fun. Is it fun for everyone? And it ended up being fun. Like that's how the um the advantage mechanic uh that, that Myrtles came up with where you roll two D twenties and take mm-hmm. the the higher. Um you know, that was just something that was thrown into a playtest and people really lashed onto it and, and it became, you know, baked into being a big part of, of D&D 5th edition. So stuff like that I think really uh, made it have a good launch in, in 2014. Um, and then also, I mean, we've touched on it a few times, is streaming, is is being able to watch people play a I'm game sure. is so big. much more illustrative on how a game is, is is played, right? I mean... You know, if you think about baseball or football or, you know, any of the sports that are like, you know, people just know the rules of right now. You didn't learn those rules by reading a manual. You know, if you looked at the manual for baseball, you'd be like, this is gibberish. I don't understand any of this. (laughs) But you watch the game and you talk about it and you, you know, you have someone who's a little bit more experienced than you tell you why that strategy and those things were made. Um, And it wasn't until the technology of having people be able to stream from home as well as, you know, uh, uh, places like here on on, on D&D uh, uh, the Twitch channel, um, that it became codified where people could watch it and then there was this chat to be able to be like, oh, no, this is what's going on. This is what's happening here. Um, it, just, it dispelled a lot of the myths. I think there were so many people who knew what D&D was but had never experienced it in that way, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. obviously playing is your is your uh, best way to learn. But watching is, a, a, I think, a very close second. And I think the growth of Twitch and streaming platforms on the, the video game side and then uh, having Tabletop be a small percentage of that that is also growing um, contributed a lot to uh, 2017 being you know, the record-breaking year that it was uh, for, for Dungeons & Dragons. I,
2: I totally agree. It's become really accessible. And even the rules for D&D 5e seem really streamlined. You can pick it up. It's not, you know, you're not, when when we're playing, you're not sitting there debating rules. Your nose isn't a book that long. It's, you know, yeah. it's pretty understandable, very streamlined. It lets the play keep going. So Right. Really well, and
0: that, and that, I didn't even, yeah, but the rules themselves, I think uh, the team here did a fantastic job of using parts of previous iterations of Dungeons & Dragons and and making it really feel like fifth was an addition for all. Like you didn't, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you loved 3.5, there was something for you that you could latch on to. If you loved 4th edition, you could, you know, latch on a uh, uh, certain mechanics that, that you know, like the cantrips for spellcasters is a great example. We're like, all right, that felt right, and that's what should be in, in all D&D going forward, you know, as well as people who uh, uh, were in the old-school renaissance. The OSR kind of came up in the, you know, 2010 kind of era. Uh, people who only played, you know, Dungeons & Dragons of yore could still... Approach fifth and be like, all right, this this doesn't feel that much different than than OD and D, and I can still get onto it. Um, I think that that was a brilliant move in, in making it feel like it was this amalgam of additions uh, really than anything else. Uh, and then bringing character forward, I think bringing flaws and bonds and uh, uh, character centric uh, uh, characteristics on your on your on your character sheet. You know, a it made it for better streaming, so that it was more uh, entertainment and personality based. Um, but then it also just, you know, we, we could really latch onto this idea of storytelling and that's what you're doing. You're not, you're not sitting around crunching numbers and, uh, reading manuals all night. You're, you're telling a story together. Uh, and I don't think that really coalesced <laughs> until all of, of these factors of fifth came into, into, into being. And that's, that's why it became more popular for people to stream and then consequently became more popular for everyone to just jump in and try.
2: Perfect storm. Right we actually we played uh at pax east in i believe it was 2014 right alex
4: i don't know yes i,
2: th- I think it was 2014 pax east and uh they were just rolling out 5e you know uh they, they had a bunch of uh i guess i would call them professional dms down in the uh in the bottom floor there and yeah uh, we went as a studio and signed up you know as a for a stoic game for a round table it's supposed to be like a two-hour session i think it was Four and a
4: half or five hours by the time we were done. Nice. It was yeah. awesome. It was awesome yeah, for the whole team. You know, E3 is this huge uh, gaming expo with all the new hottest stuff. And the entire time, me and Arnie are like, "Man, can't wait for that D and D session." <laughs> like, that's, that's all we wanted to do. Uh, and then it was a great game. The guy ran it great, and uh, you know, the group of us uh, completed the thing and had a great time. And it just makes you want to do more. It's true. Yeah. That's true. One of, one of the one
0: one of the last uh, uh uh judges weeks that I went to as uh, as part of the press uh you know we were seeing all the best games apparently coming out of you know that E3 that year and I think it was I think it was 2014 as well um but uh one of my former former colleagues was like hey you want to do a and d session one of these nights and we did it one night in d- and then the next night was supposed to be when the, all these parties were going on and we were like i don't want to go to any of those let's just we want to just continue that, that, that campaign? And we did, we went back and everyone was kind of like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, we're going to go play in and D. And yeah, I, I feel like that's happening a lot in the video game world where, uh, people crave that, that, that face to face. You know, another
4: thing, uh, podcasts were huge for a while. And, uh, to, to speak about streaming and stuff, a lot of people like these extremely long, uh, sessions where they can, you know, listen to them at work or whatever they're doing, uh, over six hours and, uh, you know, kind of in the background and, uh, there isn't very many, uh, forms of entertainment that can really sit for that long, mm. you know, and still be entertaining.
0: Yeah. Not I mean, even, you know, there's that six hour session, but then there's, you know, 155 of them now. Right. So, exactly. Right. The, the, I mean the the critical role campaign that went you know uh, 115 118 sessions or something like that. If you think about that, you know, as That's t- like
4: it's like months of content.
0: Right, right. Yeah. It's it's you know three times what's been made for Game of Thrones, you know, or or even the Harry <laughs> Potter movies or things like that. And 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 you're right. People love to follow it almost similarly, like it's in in a serial format. And I think that mm-hmm. was something that uh, you know no one would have predicted five years ago. You know, you four were- years. Ago.
2: I think you never know where it's gonna go it's really it's kind of new to people that that never got into d and d before, but it's not like a movie or oh, I read the book or you know it can take any direction on the next page yeah, uh, kind of thing. so it's really it's cool that way
0: yeah, it is cool and you mentioned podcasts, and i think uh you know i'd be remiss not to make sure not to mention uh the audio play uh is you know in addition to streaming is 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 something that really people you know uh, has become this great way to get people into it, right? Like, you know, you could do an audio book, you know, that's one thing, but here you are listening to these these, these characters uh, improvising along the way, and, and you're right, there's something mm-hmm. just super intoxicating about that. Uh, and uh, the audio podcast, I mean, Adventure Zone is is, is is the top of the list there, but there are hundreds of just audio uh, dramas that are all being created now uh, with um, uh, uh, Dungeons & Dragons as the framework for, for the storytelling, which is super exciting.
4: Yeah. Adventure Zone was one of those great like transitions I think for people because it was obviously this comedy podcast but they were playing real D&D and uh, I think it was easy to listen to if you weren't into it and it was it was fun to listen to if you were really into it. It's just the more of that kind of stuff that comes out that I think the more you know it's going to cross over between people who wouldn't normally uh, consider it.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and you know the folks who are who are into watching you know the Lord of the Rings movies uh, uh, as much as I was, as well as now you know Game of Thrones and other shows, even Vikings, things like that. Like those are so much more, uh, you know, water cooler conversations than they were you know back in the '80s when 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 D and D was new. I mean, they were still talking about Dallas and and uh, General Hospital in the '80s, not so much <laughs> right. about you know these these genre things.
2: I can't believe how big Game of Thrones got, you know, with yeah. the public. It really, it, it. I'm looking at it going, wait a minute, this is the same stuff I've been reading my whole life. And, you know, it didn't seem like the populace was into it. And all of a sudden it
4: exploded and yeah, it, you know, it was big. A hard fantasy show. I don't I don't know that that's ever been popular before Game of Thrones.
2: Maybe, you know, maybe the original Lord of the Rings uh, got kind of people warmed up for it, you know, because that, that was also really big. Yeah. The
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the Peter Jackson movies like that, you know, that winning an Oscar, I think, catapulted all of this, Mm -hmm. you know, because that was that what like 2003, 2002 or something like that. And right. And that's that, you know, along with the Harry Potter movies, I think really just brought it all uh, into this sharp focus where it's like it doesn't it's all stories. We all like it It doesn't matter that it is, uh, uh, you know something that used to be uh, about elves and dwarves and, and, and wands. But, uh, you know, now mm-hmm. everybody everybody loves that. You know, I, my, my kid went to a birthday party uh, that was uh, Harry Potter themed, you know, a couple months ago. You know, everybody was wearing their robes with their wands and stuff. And I was like, man. Makes it
2: makes that still that big. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Harry Potter's like the closest thing we've got to Star Wars at this point, you know. It's true.
0: Um, so yeah that 's super cool and and I love that you guys are are uh, you know championing championing uh, that kind of storytelling and and banner saga uh, so you mentioned a little bit about how it was like uh, the branching of the dialogue and things is, is something that you guys uh, are working on uh, uh, to 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 tell stories that it feels like the player has some agency to, but there 's limitations so how do you, how do you make it feel? Like, there's, there's there's limitless storytelling possibilities while also making it able to be coded.
4: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll, let, yeah. I'll let Alex take this one. <laughs> Well, I know. I mean, that's a real challenge. And uh, anything of that scope, you don't just have it all in your head. You have to kind of sculpt it as you go. Um, but we always had our like top priorities, the things that we had to hit, and uh, you kind of chisel away like, what can we get away with? And then be you know on this thread and realize like oh my gosh it'd be super cool if players could do that uh, and you try to go back and add um, it's a lot of kind of um, it's almost like it's almost the opposite of DMing in some ways because you're trying to create these linear experiences and to the player it feels like a linear experience like they're just going off on their one story Um, but to us, we know that it just spiderwebs all over the place. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, that's, that's a good thing for the player because it, it does feel like instead of this, uh, uh, you know, never ending series of branches, it feels like the thing that happened to them was the real thing, you Mm. know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think banner saga does that really well. And I think, uh, um, the Telltale uh, game, Walking Dead, the first one I think was was transcendent in that way, where it felt like you were just telling, you were just going through your story. It didn't yeah. feel like you were being having a story told at you.
4: Now, like one of the things that I do is is um, mercilessly dissect video games. Uh, so, you know, I, I I would go through and play all the different branches, or you know, save scum the hell out of it. <laughs> and one of our major goals with the Banner Saga was that there aren't false choices you know and a lot of these games i understand like you know you have so many resources so you have to um wrap it up you know keep it keep it together uh you can't have a wildly different tangent and and the banner saga our one of our highest priorities was to let the player actually make choices that usually matter and uh if the reviews are any indication i think we actually pulled it off but it damn near killed us <laughs>
2: It's funny the uh, when we were first doing Banner Saga One, we knew the story from the we knew the entire trilogy as far as the basic story from the very beginning because Alex mapped it all out. But the biggest decision in the very first one, uh, if you played the game, you understand what we're talking about. Actually, came as it as an idea way late in the in the game, and we were talking about like, well, you know, what do we do at this point in the game? We want there to really be a major decision to pull players back and end on a cliff cliffhanger, and we came up with that idea, and it was almost like, oh my gosh, you can't do this, you know. And the idea is basically killing off one of the major heroes, and we didn't even know what it would mean for the next games and how to maintain that and how to mm. keep it going. But it was a huge, a huge diversion, and from that moment on, we had to uh, we had to keep all those you know same decisions that the players made, and then we you know once we did that, and people really loved it. We just kept it going uh, all the way through to right. with major decisions that can really change. Uh, the game from one player to another. What uh,
1: yeah, so We're known for,
2: but like Alex said, I don't, I don't know if we're... We need to take a, a break for a little while,
4: maybe. From that. <laughs> it, it, there was a lot of decisions that was like, this is right for the story, and this would be awesome to let the player choose. Are we cool with doubling the amount of content we now have to produce from now on? <laughs> and we go, oh yeah, let's try. You know? <laughs> It was, and,
2: uh, at every step, though, it was always like, we have to put our best foot forward. It's the coolest thing to do right now. We'll figure it out later, like how to make this work. And we just kind of kept r- ironing out the wrinkles, you know, in the story all the way to the end of Banner Saga 3 that way.
0: That's crazy. So, I mean, I'm so curious to like look at how the documents, you know, like what the what the spreadsheet looks like in order to map all of all of these branching dialogue. Like what what tools do you guys use to to do that, to write it? You know yeah, what do you guys do?
2: We, we look at our wiki a lot. we, uh, <laughs> we, we ask our community what, what what was that again that happened? <laughs> we, did, we didn't really have spreadsheets for all the decisions that could be. So for a lot of it, the stuff that, we, that Alex was writing, he would just track it down on the net, you know.
4: Wow. yeah, to, to kind of clarify, I don't I don't even know if it would be possible to really spreadsheet out all the choices and all the things that can happen in a readable way. Um, so a lot of it just relies on us kind of knowing uh, you know one of the biggest problems with game development is anytime you try to do this design doc design changes so quickly and like story changes so so frequently that keeping it up to date and correct is very difficult um, especially when you have multiple people working on the same project yeah um, so a lot of it really relied on just having some of us know everything about the game and then ask, being able to ask our super fans, you know, things that we forgot.
0: I, I guess, I I mean, as a, as a, as a writer of scripts and, you know, things that are very linear, you know, I, I can go back and look at my process and see how that, that works. But so, so what you're telling me, there is no living document of, of all of the dialogue in banner saga three it was all kind of done as it was being developed Uh, yeah
4: interesting each each, uh individual dialogue is a separate file and there's no place there's no repository where you can just sort through everything that's been written and and see all the branches but then of Um, course
0: then that you you said you know it requires the special knowledge of you guys as developers but then you 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 left for for a time (laughs) so how, how did that work with banner saga 2
4: well, I mean, I was on call uh, <laughs> to answer stuff, but...
0: Well, Arnie was like, start. get in here, stat! We don't understand what's <laughs> happening.
4: Well, no, Thank- but really, Arnie knows quite a lot of it as well. Oh, okay, not good. As much as I do. Um, so that there are people uh-huh. uh, available for that.
2: But thankfully, uh, the the person that was helping Alex that, that wrote a lot of the side quests for Banner Saga 1, uh, he, we... He was a uh, another writer, Drew McGee, and at the time he was kind of cruising across Australia, you know, typing as he you know sat on a beach, and uh, so he really knew knew the whole lore as well. And when Alex took a break, he came in and was the the main writer for Banner Saga two, and he did a fantastic job. But it was really lucky that we didn't have to you know bring a new guy in, train him up, because that would have that would have needed. Okay, crap, we got to take a side. Uh, we we need to sidetrack and write a bunch of design docs to get them up to speed. So it was really cool that
4: uh, that you could hop in. And
0: that do was that. lucky, yeah, for sure.
4: Yeah, yeah if, if a couple of us died in a car crash, it'd be serious problems. But I mean, that's not to say you couldn't go back into the files, reverse engineer all of it. It it would just be time consuming.
0: Right, you just didn't have that like kind of working knowledge of of being as intimate with the uh, the material. Uh, yeah, that that takes some time.
2: It's a weird game in that you can't just say, Well, okay, you know, the new writers start off by playing the games, you know, because he would have to play Banner Saga One like ten times to mm-hmm. try to figure out all he'd have to pick different decisions every single time and try to figure out all the trees. So it, it it there is some difficulty there. It's not like a lot of the other games I've worked on where you can play the
0: game and get it, you know. Unless you play like Alex does and do tons of saves coming. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, what uh, are, are th- I'm trying to bring this back to D&D is like, are there any lessons learned uh, from this process that has changed the way that you dungeon master or, or th- that you tell stories or even as a player, you know, that, that you can see the illusions that the, the dungeon master is doing by giving you the illusion of choice, but not actually giving you a meaningful choice. Like, wh- 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 how, how has your game playing, uh, you know, uh, gone back and forth between developing this digital game and, and, and the analog game of D&D?
4: But developing the digital kind of story where everything is rock solid and has a has an arc and has pacing and has character development—that's all like extremely uh, like high difficulty stuff. And I feel like the beauty of D D is that you are reacting to your players. You're not—they're not reacting to you uh, so much. Um, and you know, it's such a different style of. Um, uh, kind of interacting in, a, in an imaginary world, that it's something that I would really like to experiment more with because, you know, my inclination, like when I have tried to run some games, is it does tend to come out like, I'm hoping they go this way because that's where all the content is. Right. You know? And there's some understanding from the beginning, like, hey, here's the premise. Do we all agree that, you know, we're working towards this? But I would love to uh, work in a more freeform form uh, setting where it is more like you know the group decides where they're going and what they're doing um something that we're always really interested in at stoic is world building and i think once you have this really defined world building kind of experience you can you can have it open up to these kind of uh more uh player driven narratives mm. you know
0: that makes sense on, on your end, Arnie. Have you have you have you learned anything from from making Banner Saga uh, that that you use in your home game?
2: Uh, yeah, I think I think on a few levels when when Alex is talking about uh, well. For one, the first thing that hit me is that I'm used to working in a box. Like, we've actually found in video games that working within a box or constrictions really helps us. You don't want the whole world to be totally open, you know. You kind of want to operate, know what our borders are, and then really flesh it out deeply from there. And, and, uh, and it helps you stay focused. I think in d and um, I think you, you really do have to try to organically lead people where you want them to go. And if they get off the rails, I'm totally happy to ad-lib for a while, but trying to bring them back onto the rails eventually. Um, but good grief, what was I about to say about that? Oh, even I think even when I'm playing D&D, if I'm not DMing or something, I'm happy to play within the box. So let's say, for instance, if Alex is DMing and I'm playing, I understand where the story is going. And it doesn't detract from that for me to be like, but I want to go anywhere. Like I, can't, I follow the story and I go with it. And we have little twists and turns that we take along the way, but I think that's that's kind of part of the relationship between player and DM that you you have to have. I mean, there is that acknowledgement that we're, you know, this is this is the adventure. We're trying to go basically in this direction. And it can go south from there. I mean, you could have a guy that you're relying on at the end to hand scroll to the people to and they kill him. Yeah, okay. Like <laughs> that's totally within the realm of awesomeness, but don't, you know, don't realize that we're trying to kill a green dragon and go the opposite direction.
0: Right, like, I'm going to go chase this donkey, not that dragon, and you're like, all right, well, that's a totally different game. So I
2: guess living within a box is is the most thing that I've learned. I I just see how it dovetails between video games and then pen and paper.
4: I agree with
0: that. Sweet. All right, well, now I'm really excited to play uh, Banner Saga 3 and, uh, uh, you know, suss out all of the well, I, I I played one. I, I get through one, and then do two, and then get the three. Of course, I don't want to. I don't want to skip the line. That's never. That's never good. I think with with well, this kind of a story, right?
2: You, you know what we're hoping. I mean, a lot of people play Banner Saga one, and then when they realized, oh, this is a trilogy, they go, I'll just wait for it to be done. Like I'm not going to play Banner Saga two and then wait a couple more years. So what we're really trying to do right now is is let people know that you can go up on Steam or whatever device you have and, and download the trilogy now. It's kind of like. Uh, you know, binging on your favorite Netflix series or oh, something. Oh, yeah. We're hoping a lot of people at this point just go, I'm going to buy the whole thing because the whole game is designed to be played and digested in really one long session. It wasn't supposed to be broken up uh, two years apart. We just couldn't do the entire game uh, fast enough with a small team. So oh. it makes a lot more sense if people haven't hopped on or if they played Cycle 1, but it was six years ago or four years ago rather, Uh, Hop in now and play the entire uh, series. You'll realize that the the combat and everything kind of ramps up and changes as you go. And uh, we think that this was always the way it was supposed to be enjoyed was as one game. You know,
0: that's kind of cool. All right, so it's not like the. it 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 is like Lord of the Rings in that you know it was broken up in volumes just for convenience' sake. It yeah, was supposed and, to be one continuous story.
2: And you kind of have to say that because so many times these days you have games that are like, oh, such and such game. I don't want to name games, but and then you have you know such and such two, and really two is totally divorced. Sometimes even you know, the combat's totally different. They have a different camera angle. You know, they they call it two.
0: Hey, I like and two. All right, I gave two five stars. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, it, you know, some some IPs, you know, you might like the second one more than the first because it's really different. Banner right. Saga is really the same game uh, that just ramps up and modifies through story over the three. So it's a little bit different, I think, than what most people yeah. used to. Yeah.
4: And quality. I, I like to think that over the six years we've been developing it, we've gotten a lot better mm-hmm. uh, on every front, you know, combat, story, uh, uh, animations, and cutscenes and things. Um, so three is is definitely in my opinion the, the strongest of the games, but they work uh they're they're meant to be played all at once. you know we originally set out to make a single game and then quickly realized our ambition was uh ridiculous uh, <laughs> which is a good thing. It's good
0: to have ridiculous ambitions sometimes,
4: yeah, no,
2: yeah. and it was it became even breaking it up it was a ridiculous ambition for us so.
0: Well congratulations on getting it out uh, having all three three games uh, and or one game uh, out with three chapters um, yeah. it, it's, it's really fascinating storytelling if people haven't uh, picked it up, i definitely suggest if you like d and d as well as the uh, flavor of turn based combat and the uh, yeah I don't want to say the shockingness of it, but the the, the, uh, the the turns that the story takes are not i think what uh, many people would suspect uh, upon playing through any kind of uh, uh trophy game like this. So, yeah. I, yeah, I'm excited for it. Thank so you cool. very much. I hope you enjoy it. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. You mentioned on, uh, on, you can get it on Steam and other platforms. What are all the platforms that it's on now, right now?
2: Steam, Switch, PlayStation, Xbox.
0: Choose uh, your favorite, basically.
2: Yeah. It's on everything but mobile. And nice. If you have a favorite platform, just go get it.
0: Awesome. Uh and what about you guys? Where can people find out about what's going on with Stoic or, or, or you guys individually?
2: Uh, just go up to com, and uh, we've got all the latest news up there and you know, whatever else is going on within the studio.
4: Yeah, we got uh, a lot going on for whatever comes next, but uh we'll we'll definitely make sure people hear about it when we're ready. Mm-hmm.
0: Sweet. Do you guys have any uh, personal Twitter handles or anything you want to get out there for for people if they have questions? Or <laughs> yeah, I'm
4: one... talking to the two wrong guys for yeah. that. All right. A lot of
2: other people at the studio would, would would come back with an answer, but we have none.
0: Good. All right. Good for you. Stay Stay analog while you can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it was great talking to you guys. Uh, I'm excited too, to learn more. Hopefully, we'll be at a event or convention uh, uh, at the same time and maybe roll some dice together.
2: We should really hook yeah. up. That'd be
0: a lot of fun. Good times.
4: Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, thanks you guys. Thank you. So, what did you think of that interview? Did you think uh, you got everything out of it that you wanted? Do you think you would have added something to it?
1: I probably would have added
0: probably a lot. Just
1: kidding! It was fantastic. <laughs> it was out of this world. I'm um, crazy, Eddie. Do you remember Crazy Eddie?
0: No, what's crazy?
1: Eddie? You grew up on the East Coast. Wait, yes, I do.
0: What that's crazy, one.
1: Eddie? My prices are insane. Yes, I do remember that. It sold like TVs or something.
0: Yeah. I, I, Crazy
1: Eddie, does I anyone else remember Crazy
0: Eddie? I uh, don't anyone in the world remember Crazy Eddie. Lauren, I remember. do you remember Crazy Eddie? <laughs> so I was talking to this company in, uh, back in Connecticut, but they were like, oh, they had an office in Milford. And I was like, oh, Milford, Milford Amusement Center. We've got the fun. And I was like, oh, where did that come from? Wow, where did that come from? It's that like lodged in my brain for a long time. I know. I like used to watch it on like you know channel thirty eight and Aww. WTNH channel eleven or channel eight. Yeah, I was just like all these like memories Whoa. came coming back. So Whoa. yeah, it's amazing how uh, uh, jingles
1: they stay in your head. They
0: stay there forever. It's almost like that was what they were trying to do.
1: That's so weird. We
0: should come up with a Dungeons and Dragons jingle. We
1: need a dragon talk jingle.
0: We've got dragons. We've got talk. We will sell you bathroom cock. <laughs> 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 see love it love it yeah we are purveyors of sealants yes all in your bathrooms
1: where you keep your dragons <laughs> and talk
0: and talk and tiles and, and tiles. toothbrushes and wait is that we and lost wrong. we lost the thread here somewhere uh, anyway. anyway I'm so glad you're back uh, yes, Shelly you. Uh, where can people follow you and find out more about all the fun stuff you got going on with Avalon Hill as well as the thing we haven't announced yet.
1: Avalon Hill at Avalon Hill 2, the number 2 on Twitter. And where are you? I'm at Shelly Moo.
0: Shelly Moo. Shelly
1: Moo. I'm a moo cow. Yeah.
0: So did you see all your mom's moo cows when you were uh, back home?
1: I am her moo cow.
0: But doesn't she, like, collect them as well?
1: She no.
0: She sends them to you she to collect. She sends them to me. She doesn't have her own I collection? I actually
1: did bring her a little um, cow tea towel, mm-hmm. and it says moo on it, and she loves it. She's like, Every time I look at it, I laugh.
0: That's very nice. Yeah, super cute. Super cute. Um, I am at Greg Tito. You can follow me there. I am or... at Greg underscore Tito on the Instagrams. Uh, and if you want to find out about it, this crazy game called D&D, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Find out everything you need to know there, including uh, all of our podcasts and things that we do there. Uh, we have the Dice Camera Action podcast feed now for your consumption. Cool. If you want to listen to all those adventures that Chris Perkins has been going on with the Waffle Crew, you can do so there. We'll try to keep those as updated as possible going forward. We also have another feed called Dungeon Delve, which has a bunch of ed, uh, adventuring going on there. And We're running a promotion called Podcasts of Waterdeep in September talking all about what's happening with Waterdeep Dragon Heist Uh, it's a super ambitious project that I'm really proud uh, that uh, Josh Peralt and uh, Victoria Rogers are working on
1: very nice of them
0: good stuff organizing and all lots of great creative folks involved so can't wait for more uh, news to come out on that and uh, yeah I don't know get in touch with us if you ever want to find out more or just say hello or just say hello anything you want to part with here before we
1: Here, I'm just gonna throw this
0: rock against the wall. Nothing will ever happen.
1: Ow! Ah! Oh, ow, 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 medic, ow.